Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Sunday Schooled Podcast, and this is a time where we take a look at Sunday's sermon and go deeper into scripture than what we do on Sunday morning. And so this is meant to be a supplement to the message that's already been preached, so if you haven't listened to that, go back to the episode right before this, and it will be the sermon from this past week about which we are going to discuss um, my name's Matt Spangler, and I serve as the lead teaching pastor at the Evangelical Free Church of Canton, and I am joined by... Oh, we're doing, we're doing this again. I should just cut this out of one of the previous <laughs> and use that. That's true, you yeah, could. I, that's what I might do. Uh, no, I'm, I'm Caden. I am a seminary student at Midwestern Seminary. I'm also a member here at E-Free in Canton. And I teach a Sunday school class on Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour from 9 to 10. Uh, we're currently walking through the Gospel of Mark. And I also assist in producing all of our online content. So I'm the guy in the sound booth. You, you often see me back there. So stop and say hi sometime. There you go. Yeah, we should just make a separate intro for this podcast that highlights who we are so we don't have to do that each time. We should do it like uh, <laughs> like uh, on uh, Full House. Wake up! <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> we'll see. Wake up to the Word of God. <laughs> With Matt Caden <laughs> weekly. Oh man! So if you are watching this in a place where um, wouldn't they be listening? <laughs> yes, <laughs> listening to this, watching. My goodness! If you're listening to this in a place where uh, you can grab a Bible, whether that's a hard copy of the Bible or a digital copy. Um, that's going to help you immensely in navigating through this. And if you listen to Sunday's sermon, I hope that you've taken on the challenge of potentially reading Romans 8 uh, this week. There is so much here, and this is such a rich text. And uh, we're specifically focusing on verses 18 through 30, which is kind of in the middle of Romans 8. Um, this passage uh, speaks so much life into what we're called to as the church, and gives us so much hope if we truly recognize and internalize what this is really speaking about. And just clarifying, uh, the book of Romans is written to the church in Rome. So we always need to put these things in context. And uh, written by the Apostle Paul, and if you don't know who Paul is, uh, read Acts 9, Okay, go back and uh, read that so that you can have a better understanding of who this guy is and why is he qualified to write a letter to the churches. Uh, what what did that look like? And so uh, Romans goes a long way into theological topics and concepts. Uh, you really want a good challenge. If you've never read through the whole book of Romans in one sitting, challenge yourself to do it. It won't take as long as you think, um, but it is rich. It is so rich. 
And uh, the first portion of Romans focuses so much on uh, our desperate need for salvation, focusing in on the sinfulness of mankind. There's none righteous. Uh, While we were still in our sin, uh, Christ died for us. And then it shifts into uh, just a hope of redemption and promises of eternity that uh, we could cling to in any season of life. So that's just a broad overview of Romans and uh, specifically Romans 8. Uh, We want to come at this utilizing uh, some of the curriculum that we write each week for further Bible study. And you can find that curriculum uh, in the video descriptions for each week's sermon. So check those out. You can go to our Facebook page, go to our YouTube channel, and you'll find a link that says a sermon notes or sermon curriculum. And you can get that digitally and you can actually fill those out. Uh, If you do it that way, or if you'd rather have a hard copy, you can let us know. We'd be happy to send you a hard copy of that curriculum. Um, The first question in that curriculum that we're going to encounter, according to Romans 8, uh, what is the foundational issue that causes us to experience trial and hardship? I think that's answered in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit... Set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Okay. So, I agree with you. And this is further emphasized in uh, verse 20, uh, really through 25 of our 18 through 30 text, which emphasizes this reality of creation being subjected to futility. Um, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And speaks of creation itself being in bondage. Um, And that's where in uh, verse 21, it says creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And uh, speaks of this, this idea of groaning, all creation groaning. This goes back, ultimately goes back to original sin. Is what this goes back to. Genesis 3, uh, when sin entered the world, it did not simply affect mankind. It, it in turn affected all creation. And this is where our understanding of sin is super important because sin has not just impacted your own struggle day to day with wrestling with your flesh. It has had a ripple impact across all of creation um, all of cre- the, the difficulty in uh, growing crops in the land producing that which is rich and flourishing all of those challenges are biblically as a result of sin and so when we think about what what is the foundational issue that causes us to experience trial and hardship it's sin it, it is it is the uh, brokenness that has been brought into this world through the sin of mankind. It is the darkness that has been uh, encompassed creation that is causing the created order, which testifies to the glory of God. So created order even recognizes this is not how things should be. This is not where things should remain. And in turn, we have to stop and recognize if creation is groaning 
And verse 23, not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So speaking of believers, those who have chosen to put their faith in Christ. Um, the Spirit dwells in them. Uh, we, in recognition that this is not how things should be, should be groaning as well. Yeah, I like how you tied that back to Genesis 2. And uh, a lot of you out there, if you're following along, if you have a reference Bible, it'll, it'll show actually a reference back to Genesis there and another one in Ecclesiastes as well. Um, but yeah, the groaning and it all going back to sin is a super important thing. Like everything that that is fundamental to our faith stems from our sinful nature. Everything. I mean, without without having that sinful nature, we would have no need for salvation. But that's not why there's sin. It, 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 there's a whole other topic of theology on that. But everything flows from that moment of rebellion everything moving forward and as we get closer and closer to the return of christ we're going to find it getting worse and worse yeah so i'm curious why do you think why do you think today when we stop and think about this there's a there is a a issue not just in secular culture but even in the church for us to identify and acknowledge the true impact of sin and what i mean by that is i think that i think people generally We'll acknowledge sin when we discuss the gospel. We'll acknowledge our need for more than ourselves. And I speak in that case specifically of people who have chosen to follow Jesus. But in general, I would say a majority of people would probably agree with the statement that day to day, I don't really think about the impact of sin on my life. Hmm. I'd say just simply we choose not to. We choose to ignore it. Um... That, it's funny. Apparently, like apparently, I need to discuss this Ecclesiastes reference. Um, Ecclesiastes one two. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. We we are the most vain creature in all of existence. It's always about us. And if we make it about God, then our sin becomes very apparent. And we don't want to do that. Because our yeah. when we compare our sin against a holy and perfect God, we realize just how bad and ugly sin is. And we don't want to believe that about ourselves. Yes. And I, I think a great perspective in that is we often, in contrast to comparing ourselves to God, we compare ourselves to other people. Yeah. So we look at our neighbor or the people in our community that aren't doing as well as we might think we are. Uh, we look at anyone else. And the the terrible thing is we do that almost, I, I struggle to say unintentionally, because I think we do it intentionally to to make ourselves feel better about where we're at. Yeah, I'm farther along on my walk than you. Yeah, it is. And we, we would never say it like that. Yep. But our actions mm-hmm. and our thoughts, that's exactly what we're doing. Yep. And so it's easier for me to convince myself, and I think this is a tactic of, the enemy, it's easier for us to convince ourselves that we're okay than for us to truly recognize the horrific impact that sin has on everything around and then identify that unless I have lived perfectly, I'm contributing to that. I'm further contributing to why creation itself is in bondage. And I always find it ironic that um, sec- secular culture is super concerned about the state of the world and how everything is just falling apart. And I, I, every time I hear about that, I'm, I go, yes, it is. But it's not 
because of what you think it is. Oh, absolutely. And they're so they're so close. We're doing yeah. it. They've got yes. that part figured out. But the what we are doing to cause this, they have not figured out. Correct. Yeah, and and the the anguish that creation is in, according to Romans eight, is as the result of sin. And we have to before we can move any further into an understanding of how should I pray when I'm not sure how to pray. And really, how can I worship? I have to begin by really recognizing the darkness that encompasses so much. Because when I understand the depth of darkness, that is when the light of Christ, glorifying holy God in eternity, becomes so much more powerful. But when I I see myself as being okay and generally good, and well, most people are generally good, and these are all things people say. You know, my friends are good people. Um, no, f- wrong. <laughs> that, that according to Scripture, that's not true. That just means our defini- definition of what is good or what is right is severely under what it should be in contrast to the holiness of God. Yeah, and you know, and a lot of things you know translate from this uh, this sin in ourselves and and going before God. You know, we we talk every time we take communion. You always mention that if you are not right with the Lord, you shouldn't be doing this. There's stern warnings against this. Well, that's sharing a meal with the Lord. How much more if you're sitting there talking to Him? You know, when you come in prayer, prayer is not just a a bunch of words going up into the clouds. You are before the Lord. Because the Lord's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So yes. you are before the Lord, and you're having a one-on-one conversation with Him. So it's probably a good idea to start with confessing your sin, get get rid of that, clear that out, and then have yourself acceptable in a, in a manner to pray before the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, in a moment of distress or something that you can't pray because, you know, you're in a state of sin. We're, we're constantly in a state of sin. Um, so that you know, but that acknowledgement of that sin before God is the important factor, um, you know. And then going back to you know what you were talking about with, you know, how we talk to each other, and you know whether we do it, you know, spoken with actual words or in our mind. Jesus made reference to that when he was talking to the Pharisees in the gospel. He said, mm-hmm. it's not, they were talking about food laws, and Jesus told them, he's like, it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you, it's yep. what comes out of it. Correct. And Because you expel everything that comes in through waste. Well, you know, out of out of the mouth, is that's coming from the heart. So whether you're verbally saying it to somebody out loud with words or not, if you're thinking it, you're still producing words. Our our minds work in such a way that when we speak, whether it's reading something in our head or or just you know talking about something, there's a voice. We hear something audibly, like not like you like you hear a sound in the room with you, but you you hear an audible. There's a detection of sound. That's just how our brains made up. So you're still saying those things, whether you realize it or not. Yeah. And all of this, all of this to say. When we think about the foundational issue that causes us to experience trial and hardship, it is not the circumstances around you that are truly the, res- the, the cause of the hardship or the trial. It's the sin that's led to whatever is going on where you see brokenness and hurt and anguish and you're struggling. Like All of that stems from sin. And 
it's easy it's easy for Jesus even identified this in Matthew. It's easy for us to look at the sins of other people rather than recognizing our own contribution to sin. And so when we don't know how to pray, we should start by recognizing the impact of sin, not only in our own lives, uh, but also in the world around us. Creation itself is groaning because of the sin of mankind. That that's just that's biblical theological truth. We we are responsible as human beings who live in sin for the groaning of creation. And when we see that, we should be embodying verse 23 that we groan too, waiting eagerly uh, for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Yeah, and what a lot of people miss too is in verse 18, they miss the gospel is in that as well. You know, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That that right there is a, a very loose rendition of the gospel because when you're saved, you have this hope, this longing for desire to be with Christ in a perfect world. And that's the glory that's going to be revealed to us. And for now, we're suffering. And and Jesus says this quite clearly. If you have not read the in the Gospels, you didn't read the Gospels thoroughly. Go back and look. It's in all four of them that you know you you will not be promised a, a glad tidings or good blessings every day. That's not what we're for. Like we're that's not what we receive from from Christ with salvation. It's that peace that Paul's talking about here. That that glory that's going to be revealed to us. We know it's coming, so we stand tall. Stand firm and fast in these sufferings. And it was funny when you had talked about this passage on Sunday during the sermon. I was sitting there, I was following along, and I realized I had it highlighted. Now, um, just to give you guys a bit of understanding on the significance of this, when I highlight in my Bible, I have color codes for everything. So, like, blue is the Holy Spirit, pink is salvation, yellow is blessing, um, Green is growth, new life. So just various things like that um, is how I do it. And I do that so when I come across a passage or if I'm looking for something and I'm looking for something in, under a certain topic, I can find it quickly. And when Matt read that, I looked at I have that listed as a blessing, that suffering, because I know I have salvation. So these sufferings that I'm going through right now and that we're all going through are not worth comparing with the glory that's coming. So it's it's a big deal, but it's something that should not be your focus. You know, um, you know, talking about prayer. You know, I think I said it a couple weeks back uh, was a Charles Spurgeon quote. I think it was a Spurgeon quote. It was some. It was a quote from somebody um, that we often spend more time praying six saints out of heaven than we do lost people into heaven. We are so concerned with what's going on right now that we're missing the mark. You know, um, look at it like with archery. Archery is an awesome, awesome uh, analogy for this. I think it's an analogy is what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And um, when you miss the bullseye in archery, that next ring out is called sin. And so when you miss the mark, you're sinning. If you miss Jesus, which is the bullseye, that's the target. That's where you want to aim and hit. You want to be with Jesus. When you miss that, it's sin. Everything stems from sin. Like, it's, it's just so overwhelming sometimes. But you've got to remember our focal point. We're on this, you know, measurable, you know, uh, we're on this measurable line here. Where, you know, at one end we have the moment we died to sin when we were we were saved, and the other end's our glorification with Christ. The middle process of this is sanctification. 
And R.C. Sproul, I invite you to go online, go on YouTube and look up R.C. Sproul um, Sanctification. And you'll probably find a video where he has a few people up there and he's doing a little presentation. If that's the one you find, watch that. There's no better description on how we progress to that end goal than what he does on there. So watch that and you'll know what I'm talking about. It's really good. Good. Um, so within this, within Romans 8, um, there's there's a discussion past, really starting in verse 26 about the role of the Spirit. And the second question in this is identify and discuss the Spirit's role in Romans chapter 8 and how can this bring comfort to the follower of Christ. And uh, verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So, in the scope of this, the first thing we need to acknowledge, and we're just going to be really direct and clear about, is we stand on uh, a biblical Trinitarian view of the Godhead. And mm-hmm. simply put, we recognize... Uh, for any of you that are super detail-oriented people, we recognize the word Trinity is not in Scripture, but that doesn't mean the concept of the Trinity is not in Scripture. We believe firmly that uh, God has revealed himself clearly as one God in three distinct persons who are equally divine. And the Holy Spirit plays a role in that. And not just any role, an equal part in that. So, fully God uh, in... Uh, spirit, and so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, unfortunately, he often takes a, a third wheel backseat spot in relation to the Father and the Son. I would say most people treat the Father and the Son as equally divine, but we often just kind of uh, passively blow by the impact of the Spirit. And uh, Jesus has specifically in uh, John 16 promises that he would send the helper. And it's one of the reasons Jesus says, it's better that I go. It's better that I ascend, that I go back to the Father, because if I go, I'll send the helper to you. If I don't go, then the helper will not come. And this is a fulfillment of prophecy, saying that God would dwell with his people, literally in his people, and that happens through the Spirit. So we need to begin the discussion of the... the, uh, the Spirit's role by first understanding who the Spirit is. And we can spend a whole bunch of time on that, but just to recognize when we're talking about the Spirit, we're not talking about some weird, strange, out there, unknown force. We're talking about an equal part of the Godhead who dwells within the follower of Christ as the helper to ultimately direct and point them uh, back to the will of God. And that that is super significant to recognize at the end of verse 27. Um, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Um, this correlates right back to verse 26 where it says, we don't know how to pray for as we ought to. Um, what does that mean? It means that your tendency is always going to be to pray for the things that are of your will and build your kingdom more than they are the will of God. And it doesn't take us long if we really stop and evaluate how we pray and the content of our prayers. It usually is treating God like a genie who's going to give you your three wishes. And that is how we want prayer to work. Unfortunately for you, 
Actually, no. Fortunately for you. (laughs) I'll change that. Fortunately for you, that's not how it works. God is not some puppet that is tied to you that has to do your bidding. Instead, he is the all-sovereign God who will do according to his will, exactly as he's planned to do. And praise God that he's given us the Spirit who intercedes on our behalf in recognition that we are weak people who are most prone to pray not for what we should, but for what we in our flesh want. Yeah, and concerning, you know, considering, not concerning, considering the role of the Holy Spirit, uh, something to keep in mind, too, is to look at 1 Corinthians 2.10. And there it says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Mm. So that's where that groaning comes in place. The Spirit knows what God's wanting. Yes. The Spirit is is searching God's mind. We can't do that. Correct. That's why the Spirit imparts wisdom. That's where the wisdom comes from of the Spirit. That's why there's that groaning, because the Spirit knows already yes. what needs to take place. And it's trying to do that through us. It It's leading us... Like just basically like a toddler, it's got us by the hand. It's like, all right, come on, we got to go this way. We got to we got to go this way. Nope, nope, stay away from that. Come on, we got to go. And it's because of the spirit's ability to search the depths of God that we are able to have that that communication with God via the Spirit when we pray. Yeah, and I mean that that this all the more increases the powerful view of the Trinitarian Godhead because the very spirit that dwells in you is God just as much as God is Father just as much as God is Son equally and so when we see verse 27 and it identifies he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit it would go yeah because the spirit is God mm-hmm. it, it's not it's, it's <laughs> if we separate the two then it becomes like well I hope the spirit knows what God really wills or wants no he is God so yes, he does know this. He does know what, what the will of God is, because it is God. It is God in you. And if we miss this, then we resort to our flesh. And this is exactly where Galatians speaks of this battle, this tension that is ever-present in our lives right now. And ultimately, it's this tension that should cause us to groan should cause us to mourn sin, because the Spirit's presence in our lives brings light to what should be, and yet we still feel the weight of what isn't. And then there is this back and forth, back and forth. So you might be wondering, why doesn't why doesn't the Spirit just uh, take over all of it and make us do exactly according to the will of God? And, and that goes back to a discussion on free will that God has given His people because God longs for relationship with His people. He wants His people to choose to follow after Him, not just become robots who are possessed by some external force to do the bidding of their Master. That is not what this is about. And there's a significant uh, emphasis on uh, what happens when we choose the Spirit's guidance and direction over our flesh. Yeah, and just to kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, dumb it down a little bit, how are you going to learn anything if the Spirit takes over? How are you going to grow and mature in your faith? Right. You're, you're yeah, not. That's a great point. That's why it's a long process. Yeah. That's why it's painful, too. Correct. You know, 
uh, John Wayne once said, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. And, <laughs> and it's, I'm pretty sure it was John Wayne. The Duke, <laughs> the Duke would say something like that. But I mean, it's, it, it makes perfect sense because we're going to keep running up against these obstacles. And if we don't have that dependency on God to get through those obstacles, it's going to be very painful and hurt. Now, I'm not saying that God's going to remove all the pain because you're going through it with Him and His help. I'm not saying that at all, but it's going to be a lot easier to deal with. And it's um, it's that that comfort and peace that you have, knowing what the end result is. The game's over. You already know the ending. You just got to get there. It's like when you play chess. You're several moves ahead of your opponent, and you're like, "All right, I've got this locked up. I just got to keep making the moves until I get there." And that that's pretty much what it's like. So the the next question in this. Um is focused around the word groan. So what is the significance of the word groan in Romans 8? How should the groaning of the believer differ from those of an unbeliever? I don't know, but I groan a lot. <laughs> I think most people would agree with that. When you Especially asked, in this day. Yeah, when you asked that question, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the... One of the thing, one of the passages that is so powerful when we think about this idea of groaning is uh, actually Second Corinthians five, which speaks of what is to come and gives brings about this hope, but also does a great job of prefacing why why is there groaning to begin with. Um, and Second uh, Corinthians five, starting in verse one, it says, "For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed." We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, again, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Um, there may be no better parallel to this idea of groaning than Second Corinthians 5 here. And it brings to light this reality that in this earthly tent we groan. Every time uh, you ache and hurt and are in pain or something fails or you're sick, this should be a simple reminder that this is not eternal. Where we are today is not what lasts. The things of this world will disappear. This is not the end. And for so many people, that is exactly, maybe unintentionally, what their thought process is. And so they become discouraged. They become frustrated that, why is everything here falling apart? Why is my body not functioning the way I want it to? And then we get depressed and discouraged and disoriented. And this, we have two choices when we face these things. One choice is to become so discouraged and just go to a really dark place because things are not good. The other is to recognize things are not good. But going back to verse 18, uh, this suffering is not comparable to the glory that's going to be revealed. Not even, not even close. It's not even a, a similarity. You think you have found enjoyment in this earth. It does not compare to what is to come. And the believer 
should be the first to recognize this. Yeah, Paul says that. <laughs> you know, I was just uh, scanning through Second Corinthians, and it's right there by five. It's in uh, four seventeen. Uh, yeah, four seventeen and eighteen, where it says, uh, "For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison." As we look not to the things that are seen, mm-hmm. but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, which means they, they, they'll go away. Uh, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Yes. I challenge you, just read read all of Second Corinthians. and Read all of the whole Bible. <laughs> read I mean, the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, read yeah. Romans. Yeah. Uh, read Second Corinthians. Read Genesis. Just yeah. read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I, well, seriously, though, there's like, when if you start, if you look for a specific topic, and this is like my wheelhouse, because this gets into systematic theology. If you look for a specific topic, and then you start looking everywhere else in the Bible where it's referenced, it paints it in a bigger picture because you have multiple occurrences talking about it in different situations instead of just a a one-time definition of, well, this is what it means, this is what this groaning is. I mean, it's referenced all over. It's super significant, and very much there's a huge emphasis on it in Romans 8, but it's elsewhere as well. And you'll yeah. find little things and how it's worded that makes it easier to grasp and swallow. So, yeah, just seriously, just read your Bible. Like, that would probably solve a lot of the world's problems right now if people would just read their Bibles and believe in what it says and do what it says. We'd have so much peace and harmony, but it, it's not going to happen. Well, and we know it's not. If we want to get more specific, it would solve a lot of the church's problems. Mm, yes. Because where I become most burdened with this is not for the secular world. My burden for the secular world is simple. I, I burdened that they would understand that there is salvation in Christ. Yeah. But my burden for the church becomes so much greater because we know better. Mm. We know that this is not all there is. We have professed that I am sinful and that I have a Savior in Christ. And yet, so many who claim the name of Jesus continue to live as if this world is their home. And if we want to see unity in the church... If we want to see brokenness healed, then we have got to realize it is not about us. It is about the glory of God. And ultimately, it is about embodying Colossians 3, that if we've been raised with Christ, we are to seek the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Yeah. And I wish I could say that about a majority of the church, people who claim the name of Jesus. But there are so many, and I'm not exempting myself from struggle in this. I struggle with the flesh. But my goodness, the, the, the earthly things are not my priority. I, they can't be. If they become my priority, my sole focus and priority, I am going to be a very unhappy person. Mm-hmm. And, and ineffective, too. That's the other, ineffective in my, the mission I've been given by God in Christ. So my burden in this for the church and knowing Romans 8 is written to the church. You, if you truly believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, the spirit is present and is seeking to direct you into a life that fixes your eyes on that which is eternal. And if you are choosing to focus on that which is of earth, you're denying the work of the spirit in your life. And then we're wondering, why do I continue to feel like God is absent? Why do I continue to feel like He's not present? It's because I'm, I'm rejecting the very presence that dwells within me. I'm, I'm choosing 
to focus on the things that are not of God. And this is where James 4 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? It's, it's your passions and desires. And you, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It goes on from there to say, friendship with the world is enmity with God. You, you can't be a friend of the world and devoted to the Lord. Matthew focuses on this too. You can't serve two masters. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot serve both God and money. Like, all throughout the text of scripture, there is this emphasis that you can't do both. And so you've got to choose. And whether you verbally choose or not, you have already chosen in how you are living your life today. Yep. And that, and where a lot of that boils down to in, in church conflict is you have people that are like, well, I want us to do that. And it's you want us to do that for you, not for the betterment of the entire church. And that's the problem. When you follow Christ, you should go from selfish to selfless. Right. Because that's what Jesus did. He was selfless. He gave his life for all of us, not just because, oh, this is going to benefit me. I'm going to have a bunch of people following me now. That is not why he did it. He don't need us. We need him. And when you change that mindset and when you realize, man, I shouldn't be doing this, and you get that, that little, I call it the Jiminy Cricket, the little, the little <laughs> con- your conscience is calling out you. That's the Holy Spirit going, hey, dummy, stop doing this. Right. And sometimes we give in. We're like, oh, we shouldn't do that. And other times we're like, well, and that's what Matt was just talking about with that. You're rejecting. That's the battle between the flesh and the spirit, that you're rejecting. And that's where that groaning comes from because now the spirit's like, Okay, we are backsliding bad. We've got to really dig into this. And I've, and the Spirit will will really convict you, and it's going to get heavier and heavier and harder and harder. And it's not a punishment. It's not a punishment by any means. It's telling you, hey, you've got to get this straightened out. Yes. And with that, too, some people may ask, well, how do I discern what is the Spirit of God and what is uh, um, my hangry attitude? <laughs> That goes and, back to reading your Bible. For, right. First, for, well, and First John 4, 1 yeah. says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So we have a responsibility when we have a conviction in our life to stop and evaluate what is that conviction. And if it contradicts the word of God, which is the will of God, then it is not the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. I'll say that again because that's a really... Well, and it's important for us yeah. to recognize is that... If it's not in the Word of God, which is the will of God, then it is not the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the Spirit of God will not contradict the will of God, which we can find in the Word of God. So recognize that if you're in that place and you're going, I feel prompted, or I feel like I need to make a change, but I don't know if this is the Spirit of God speaking to me or just my own conscience or mentality, um, contrast that with what the Word of God says you should do, who you should be, where you should go, what you should say. Uh, ask those questions, and if it lines up, then you can have confidence that it's the Spirit of God prompting you in a certain direction. Yeah, and if you can't, by, you know, by reading Scripture, determine that, meet with your church family, meet with the elders, yes. meet with one of the pastors. Be in community. And have them help you discern that. There's no embarrassment, there's no shame, or at least there shouldn't be. We are all on the equally worthless plane when it comes to 
being compared with God. We, we, none of us are any better than the other. There's no, there's no distinction when you look at sin. There's no distinction of, oh, that person's a worse sinner than me. No, one sin, one sin, it doesn't matter if it's a lie or if it's adultery or murder, they are all equally sinful. Right. So you, you cannot come and say, well, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Don't just get it out. Get it out, get it over with, move forward. I'm telling you, there's probably not going to be anything that you've done that a pastor has not heard, read about, or been trained to deal with. It's very rare that you come across something like that, because we have a whole Bible here of the most sinful people in all existence. Like, we got Paul talking about, there's nobody worse than him. He was hunting down people and killing them because they believed in Christ. And yet he becomes the apostle of the Gentiles. That one should show you the power of God. But that tells you that you're you're not you're, there's nothing that you have done that can't be fixed by God. And so this uh, this all goes back to this concept of groaning when we see our tendency to walk in our flesh instead of walking in holiness as God has called us called us to. Uh, we should groan. And the Spirit is already groaning. Creation is groaning because it recognizes what should be. And a side note in the midst of this, verse 26 of Romans 8, at times is used um, when it says, uh, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Uh, This is unfortunately sometimes used as a, a place where people talk about speaking in tongues it's a groanings too deep for words and so they utter just rambling or gibberish and that's the spirit praying interceding on our behalf this is not what this is talking about contextually this is not at all speaking about tongues this this is talking about a work the spirit does separate from you on your behalf the spirit of god doesn't need your help to intercede before God. In fact, it's the opposite. You need the help of the Spirit. Like you are weak and you don't know how to pray as you should. This doesn't mean the Spirit uses you as the vessel to communicate with God. The Spirit is God. He doesn't need you. Yeah. The Spirit doesn't need you to communicate for Him. The point of this is to understand God is the one who sent the Spirit as your helper. And by your, I speak broadly to the whole church, as the church's helper to direct them back to a place of the will of God. And when we don't know how to pray, we should take comfort, great comfort in knowing that the Spirit of God has already been standing in the gap for us. The Spirit of God, being God himself, has been interceding in line with the will of God on your behalf already. So when you have a brother or sister in Christ who comes and confronts you because of sin, guess what? That's an answer to the prayers of the Spirit of God on your behalf that you would walk in line with the will of God. When you have, when you are caught in sin, that is an answer to the prayers of the Spirit of God. I would guarantee you probably weren't praying that you would be caught in your sin. But that is not the will of God, because the will of God is that you would reach repentance, and that you would come to know life, abundant life, and you can't do that living in your sin. And so when we, we can look throughout our lives and see all these instances where God intervenes 
on our behalf, even in ways that we didn't ask. What is that? That is the promise of the Spirit interceding for you according to the will of God. And we should take great comfort in knowing we serve a God who recognizes our weakness and has given us a helper so that we don't have to wonder what the will of God is in the midst of our life. He is chasing after us and yearning for relationship with us. And he's given us his spirit to help direct us in that journey. I've got nothing to add. That, you really just drove it home right there. <laughs> I I got really excited about talking about that. It is, it's just, this is a powerful passage of mm-hmm. scripture. And we should get excited about what we see God's word reveal, the promises that it brings about and the hope that we can have. And ultimately, this comes back to kind of the last thing I want to focus in on. Romans 8.28, I talked about this Sunday, unfortunately has been a standalone passage um, where it says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. The problem with that being a standalone passage is this is in the middle of Paul talking about the hope that we can have in eternity, not the hope that we have here. This tie should tie directly back into 18, where we see this, I consider the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed. The ultimate good that will take place as a result of the trial and pain and the suffering that you're experiencing is a further groaning and longing for that which is eternal. And so when God... When when scripture says that all things work together for good, that doesn't mean it's going to work together for your earthly good. You may spend your whole life in trial and in pain, hurting, encountering hard situation after hard situation, living in poverty, whatever that may be. That does not mean God is absent from your life. That does not mean you just need to become more spiritual and somehow you're going to become earthly, uh, wealthy, and flourish. What it does mean is that in the moments of those hardships, we should recognize the process of sanctification that's taking place. And James talks about this. They count it all joy when you face trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces endurance or perseverance that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the promise of Scripture and how God will work all things for good is ultimately He will work all things for your growth to becoming more like Jesus. He will work all things in a way that reminds you that this is not all there is. There is a hope for you laid up in eternity through Jesus that cannot be taken away from you. And so regardless of the challenge or suffering or hardship or hurt that you're enduring today, take hope in the fact That what is good is that which is eternal. The things of God are not the things of this earth. They are the things that are yet to be revealed when our adoption is complete and we're in the presence of our God. Yeah, and something that just popped in my mind from Romans 7, just to kind of summarize that that workings of the Spirit and that we can't stop sinning it's just you know we that's our nature now paul says in uh, 7 18 through 20 for i know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for i have the desire to do what is right but not the ability mm-hmm. to carry it out mm-hmm. for i do not do the good i want but the evil i do not want is what i keep on doing now if i do what i do not want it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells within me that's that battle yeah. That we were talking about. That's that's where the spirit's fighting 
because you are so consumed by sin that that you just can't help it. That's all you do. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, my kids and I, my wife, we're going through Romans right now, and we just read seven last night. And when I was explaining that to them, they were like, "Oh, it made so much sense." Because we have talks all the time of, well, why did you hit your brother? I don't know. I don't know why I did it. I just did it. And I'm like, here's your answer. Because that's what we do. We sin. And that's what God's trying to keep us from doing. That's why we have that helper. Yeah. Makes so much sense with that word now, doesn't it? Yeah. So in closing, uh, I just want you to kind of sit with these challenging questions. What what hinders you most today from being able to discern the Spirit's groaning in your life? What hinders you most from just stopping and being still before God? Uh, if you are in a place where you feel you don't know where the Spirit's leading, you don't can't discern what the will of God is, uh, there's other things that are taking the place of the Spirit's influence in your life, whether that's media, whether that is uh, circumstances that you are just trying to control yourself, whether that is maybe you haven't made a decision to follow after Christ. And you, you have not surrendered your life to Jesus. And the Spirit of God is not going to guide you into the things of God until you've made a decision to surrender to the work of the Spirit in you. And so you may be in that spot. And I want you to know today, if that's you, if you're listening to this, wherever you're at, that there is hope in Christ. Scripture says that you simply believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. You, you don't have to come uh, already having figured out how to live and be righteous. It's in your knowing that you are not righteous that you recognize your need for Christ. He is sufficient. No one comes to the Father but through Christ. And we want uh, you to know you either make a decision today to be surrendered to Jesus or you've chosen not to be surrendered to Christ. There's no fence. There's no in-between. And we want to, we want you to have made that decision, uh, on your own, uh, before you seek to apply any of these other things. That these things come as a follow up to the most important decision you can make in your life. So, uh, our challenge is, think about this. What is hindering you from discerning the Spirit's groaning in your life? What is the Spirit leading you to do that may be uncomfortable, it may be challenging? Uh, maybe it's just a reminder to stop and think of the things that are eternal and not the things that are of this earth. Uh, whatever that is today, we want to know that we want you to know that we're praying for you. Uh, if there's a specific way we can pray for you, let us know that. We'd love to be able to do that. And uh, if you have questions, uh, we want to encourage you to let us know too. If there's things you want us to talk more specifically about, we'd love to be able to do that. Uh, you can email us at office at cantonyfree.com and let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear from you that way. I'm surprised we were able to do this in under two hours. I am too. I was I was concerned. Yeah, it's been good. This yeah. is a good discussion. And there's so much more we could talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some ways, it feels like <laughs> we blew through a lot of this yeah. really quick. So uh, there's all the more reason. Uh, spend time in your Bible. Uh, study scripture. Uh, yearn for the things that are eternal. And uh, groan with us. <laughs> for Christ's return, Mm -hmm. and for redemption that we all long for, uh, to be redeemed from a sinful state. uh, We're going to close in prayer. Father, thank you for the hope you've given us in Jesus. Thank you that the things of eternity uh, cause the sufferings of this world not even to compare. God, may that impact uh, how we walk and live today for your glory, that we would uh, 
have a hope and a peace and a comfort that no one else in this world has and it causes people to question in the midst of hard times God how are these people so positive in what's happening and it may it simply be because our hope is not here today may we seek the things that are above not the things on earth according to your will in Jesus name amen amen